The Comedy Store would like you to know that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are strictly those of the speakers or authors and do not necessarily reflect or represent the views and opinions held by the Comedy Store and its affiliates. Hey guys, welcome back to the Comedy Store Podcast. Eleanor is uh, East Coasting, just being an alpha chick, just fucking dudes, you know, doing what she does, basically. Um, but I'm here, I got Anthony Jeselnik in the house, living the dream. You got the fucking stash, man. I know, my, my barber talked me into it. She's always like, I want to do this, I want to try it, let's try it. Okay. And I, I've gotten like, if I had gotten a face tattoo... Reactions would have been well, less severe than, uh, yeah. than going to a mustache. The, the, the beard's on its way back already. All right, so that's it's a plan in action. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a fan of the mustache in general. I, when I had one, I looked super weird, and uh, the strangest dudes would be like, dude, looks great. Yeah. Um, but then everyone else pretty much universally was like, what the fuck's going on with well, When I grew a beard, people were like, what the fuck are you doing, man? And then they were like, oh, we love the beard. So yeah. I was like, I'll try something new. Yeah. And everyone in my life has been universally against it. <laughs> I've seen uh, I've seen the ladies commenting on social media when you have the beard that mm-hmm. there there's a lot of I'm not into beards but I'm into this beard. Yeah. Which is a strange but at the same time that's power right there. I like it. Yeah. Um so the mustache is not for anything in particular. This is just for the look. I need to make up a story that it's for something. Yeah, it's it, like for a role. It's like this guy, he's obviously going undercover cop. Yeah. Some sort. It's my Halloween costume next year. <laughs> Smart. Grow it in now. Yeah. Um, how are you? I'm good, man. Yeah. Things are all right? Things are good. Is ready for the holidays to get here. I got like I'm doing my last show of the year, I think, on Friday, and then I'm just taking the rest of the year off. Nice. Enjoy my holidays. Uh are you traveling back? home no staying no. here i got a pandemic dog and he's not he's a bit of a problem so i've got to like i can't just like leave him at the kennel yeah i've got to kind of take care of him so i'm not flying back for the for the holidays all right what kind of dog did you get i got a dog from korea not on purpose i just looked at pictures of dogs whitney cummings helped me out okay i was like losing it in the beginning i thought a dog would get me out of the house get me to do things sure. keep me from drinking too much and uh, i saw this picture i was like i love that that dog's beautiful and they're like, he's in Korea. It'll be like a month or so before he gets here. And I started reading up on the dog. And it's like, it's a dog that like picks one person as its person. And, and that's, that's like there for life. And I was like, oh, I'm in. Right. And then it got here the day the Black Lives Matter protest started. Oh, okay. So they were like, normally you would like meet the dog, see if it's a fit, take it home for a couple of weeks, you know, decide. They were like, no, you got to get this dog now. The city's on lockdown. Like there's like chanting outside my my uh, my condo for like weeks. Which is good for a new dog. Yeah, that I just like bonded, <laughs> and now it's my dog forever. And someone told me like it lives up. It's it, I got it at six months. It just turned two. Okay. And they say they can live up to seventeen years old. What kind of dog is it? Uh, it's like a Jindo Akita mix. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, those are those can be intense. Yes, the Akitas especially. He he looks scary. He's never bitten anyone, but he'll definitely growl and yeah. like lunge, and it's so scary that uh, people don't like it. I I, uh, I knew a dude who uh, had a couple of Akitas, and um, the dogs were really cool. But uh, he would constantly tell you about all the amazing things about Akitas that no one really gives a fuck about. He'd be like, "Cool," and he's like, "It's a Japanese fighting dog." He'd be like, "Okay." I thought my when I got the dog, I was like, "When I get back into stand up, I'm gonna have an hour about this dog. Like, mm-hmm. people are gonna love it." And I cannot give anyone to give a flying fuck about my dog. Like, I'm so glad you asked me about it because <laughs> no one cares. No, no one is in. No, that's some bullshit. Like, oh, a dog, great. 
Uh, how long into the pandemic did you get the dog? I got it in June, so a few months in. Yeah, three months in. Something I like lost that. in the pandemic. I lost my shit right away. Really? Like right away, because I was right about to film a, the second season of my TV show, okay. and then it just got canceled. They were, I was like, I was. It wasn't like, even postponed. They just they they were postponed, and then like two weeks later, they're like, we're canceling everything at Comedy Central. Right. You're done. Uh, we're still gonna pay you, which was great, but oh, yeah. I just had nothing to do. And so I was just like drinking a bottle of vodka every day and friends expressed concern pretty quickly. And I was like, you got it. Like you don't have to, I don't need the intervention. Yeah. Just someone saying like, hey. Yeah, there's uh, really nothing worse than the thought of having a bunch of people that you kind of like being like, dude, you need help. You're just like, I don't even respect you. My, excuse me. My dream is to get through my life without an intervention. Yeah. Like, whenever something, whenever I see people getting concerned, I pull back hard. I'm like, I'm, I'm at the gym right now. Like relax. <laughs> Oh man, I uh, I gained some weight at the beginning of the pandemic, and then uh, I actually before the pandemic started, I had started gaining weight. In a comic named John Little, I don't know if you know who that is. Um, he, he basically just he was here one night, and he had a couple scotches in him, and he spent a solid twenty minutes telling me about how I was fat as fuck, and I was like, all right, that's good enough for me. I mean, I know he's just fucking with me, but at the same time, yeah. Um, and then, uh, so then I decided I'm going to start exercising. This is like maybe two months into the pandemic. And, uh, and then I, I, uh, stress fractured both my legs from just being fat, I guess. Jesus, that'll do it. Yeah. And so then I'm like, oh, this sucks. And then I just, I lost the weight by just not eating like a fucking slob. I lost weight during the pandemic because I had been working out, like getting ready for the TV show, like drinking protein shakes, like five days a week, sober, clean living. Yeah. And so I was like, I was feeling pretty good. And then I just stopped everything. I was like, I was walking after that. That was my only exercise. Yeah. And uh, so I lost, I lost all that muscle. (laughs) The the muscle went. Mm -hmm. Classic move. Yeah. Um, How, when did you start at the comedy store? Someone, someone posted a, a open mic lineup. From like early, I think it was like 2003 or four, and uh, there was three names on it that I think still exist in comedy, and you were one of them. Really? It was like me, you, and maybe Jeff Danis or Ryan O'Neill or someone. Who were uh, the other two names? Uh, exactly. It was. <laughs> God damn it! All right, I'm out of here. Um, yeah, no, it was it was bizarre. A lot of them, like I remember, just because they were so fucking crazy. Yeah, it was like Mickey's and uh, mm-hmm. like Twitter would be. I mean, it, it literally was like five humans and then fifteen completely psychotic, roughly homeless people. Oh, absolutely. I mean, roughly is is a uh, generous way to put yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, some of them were actually homeless. Totally. People. <laughs> I, I my first set ever uh, was in the comedy store belly room. I did. I did a class. I did Greg Dean's class. Get out of here! And the graduation was upstairs in the belly room. Nice. So I was like, "Oh, that's my room." And then I did the open mic like twice, maybe. Okay. And hated it. Like hated the waiting around. Hated the people I was around. Yeah. Guys trying to be funny. And I was still at that point in the beginning. I don't know if you did went through this, where you think that everyone around you is going to make it too. You know, you're just like, yeah, we're all like, we're we're putting our time. Like it's happening. And I didn't like the vibe of the store. It was almost like, it was a punk rock thing where it was like cool to be bad. Like if you were really funny, like you weren't part of the gang. And there was always that like group of guys in the back, like shitting on women, just being assholes that I was like, why, why isn't everybody just going home and working on their act and yeah. then going anywhere else? And I, I, I really believe that you shouldn't be seen in the place you want to perform in until you're good. You know, like when I was in New York, like kids would come into the comedy cellar and hang out. And I'm like, you don't want to be known as the guy who hangs out. 
Yeah. You want to be known as like the really funny guy. Yeah. So I did the open mic a couple times and then came here maybe like once every couple of years for like a benefit or something. Right. Uh, I remember one night, who was the guy who died in a car accident? It was a comic. Uh, Angelo Angelo, Bowers. Angelo Bowers passed away. And someone got in touch with me and they're like, you were one of his favorite comics. You and David Tell were his favorites. And we couldn't get a tell. So would you mind coming down and headlining this benefit? And at the time, I had a TV show on the air with my name in the title. Yeah. And I come in and I'm like, I'd never done the main room. I go up. I'm like, this is actually really fun. I have a great set. I'm like, I'm into it. I'm like, maybe I will like start coming here. Because I, I, I live nearby. I've always liked the store. And Tommy grabs wow. me as I'm walking out. And he goes, Anthony, that was so funny, man. I love your comedy. You got to start You got, You got. got to start working here. I go, I'd love to, Tommy. He goes, yeah, just start hanging out. Yeah. And I go, Tommy, my name's on the top of the marquee right now. I've got a TV show on the air. What are you talking about? Wow. And I just like, before he could even say anything, I just walked away. Yeah, and until smart. Adam came and they like came to me. Yeah. And were like, please come here. And I yeah. was like, oh, I'm happy to. That was what Adam's thing was like. Uh, I go, what's the deal? How are you getting like names to come in? He was like, oh, I just asked them I'm mm-hmm. like, oh yeah. okay yeah that works well yeah yeah and tommy was uh even post firing he uh went he would he lived across the street from me so i'd still see him all the time and he would walk across the street and give me his two cents on the club and what they were doing i'm just like yeah it doesn't really but he'd be like well what, what are they doing why is david spade there that's not our demographic I'd be like, our demographic? What do you, what do you, we're not a fucking TV show. It's I w- a fucking comedy club. I was so bummed he wasn't a part of the documentary, the Tommy? documentary. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen Tommy try to explain himself. It would have been amazing. Yeah. His story over, it was probably about 18 months from when he got fired until like the last time I really talked to him about it. But out of the gate, it was just straight out like, well, I got set up. Okay, they, they set me up. And I'm like, all right, man, whatever. And then maybe... Five, six months later, it was like, we all took money. That's what you did. And I'm like, okay. And then about a little over a year after he got fired, he saw me walking my dog one day and he came on. You know, Mitzi told me that I deserved more money, but they couldn't technically give me a raise, so I needed to take what I earned. I'm like, that's what Mitzi said? The lady who was literally known for yeah, like being such a stickler that... Comics went on a fucking strike. Yeah. Well, and then I just loved the idea, like, because he believed the bullshit that he would say. That oh, was, yeah. He sat in his room and was like, well, Metsy, and she wasn't there. But, oh, you're right. I should take more money. But out of his fucking mind. Oh, totally. Yeah, and he, uh, he, he just loved, he loved the power of being like, like he told Bert Kreischer that he should uh, park cars here. After Bert was already a touring headliner, yeah. didn't they didn't they offer Patton Oswalt a doorman job when he was like Patton Oswalt just dropping in to be like, yeah, I, I do this club. I believe it. I mean, I, I don't the the people that he would try and like convince like they need to work to get in here. I'd just be like, like they made Norm Macdonald wait one night when he came in. He was like, no, nah, you need to wait till the end. You're not technically a paid regular. I'm like, what are you doing, man? It was like my dream to get my name on that wall when I first started. I was like, one day I'm going to be on this wall. And then I showcased for Mitzi once or twice. I forget. I don't know who recommended me or how I got in through yeah. that. And I, I like, I'm killing. Like, I'm doing a great I'm having a great set. Everyone else around me is not doing well. And I look over and Mitzi's talking to fucking Ahmed Ahmed. That, and, that was the go-to. Uh, yeah. And I'm like, I walk off stage and she doesn't know who I am. 
And yeah. they're like, yeah, she didn't pass you. And I'm like, she didn't know I was there. Yeah. That yeah. I, I did it twice and then I was like, never again. I can't remember the other. There's like two or three other people who have that specific story. I mm-hmm. showcased. I got off. Mitzi was talking to Ahmed, Ahmed. And he would. He would he would do everything he could to just really proposition her for stage time. Yeah. And it was like, he loved gonna, Ahmed, but still just like, what are you doing? But man? you're going to pick now yeah. to do this? Like every comic hates you for this. Yeah. And it, and. He was, I, I'm sure his thought was just, if Mitzi's here, then I have to do it. But at the same time, you just got to fucking, you know, wait in between comics. Whoever was hosting was definitely wasting three or four minutes in between comics to mm-hmm. go. That's when you fucking, Mitzi, you know, this guy's great. Yeah. But that, that's insane. I would have been so fucking pissed. Oh, I was furious. I, I got past so, on such a fluke that I, I literally was just like, I didn't know what to do. And I was in no way ready to be a paid regular yeah but i had maybe three minutes how long had you been coming here before you got passed as a paid regular um i'd been i did the open mic for like maybe six months and then um i started working the door here and i probably worked for five months before i got i got passed before my one year anniversary in la okay um and but it was just i was showcasing to keep my doorman job yeah um and I wasn't even supposed to go up, but literally everyone was such a fucking pussy. They all hid. Mm-hmm. Like she did the five people on her showcase, and then um, they started putting up the employees, and it was supposed to be the guys who had been here for years. And sure enough, they were all suddenly gone. Yeah. And uh, she came specifically to pass Ari Shafir that night. It was like his 30th showcase. And. Duncan was the talent coordinator, Duncan Trussell. I forgot he was the talent coordinator yeah. here. And so he, uh, like, when when I got here, I was working the back door. I got here, and they were like, yeah, Mitzi's coming in tonight. She's going to pass Ari. And, like, that was just the thing. Like, she just told people, I'm com- I'm going to pass Ari tonight. They had to go through the, she couldn't just pass him. She couldn't just pass him. She had to come watch him. Yeah, put the pressure on him. Um, you know, like, play the game, pretend she still wasn't out of her fucking mind, yeah. which she was at that point. Like, I I got passed. It was me, Kirk Fox, and Ari got passed that night. Oh, wow. And then I just remember being like, wow, this, this lady really gets it. Because, you know, you have that inflated, like like I said, I mean, I was lucky if I had two minutes. So oh, anyone who says they like you or you're funny, you're like, they get it. Yeah, like, they, yeah. They're not like, they're not just saying shit. Yeah. I remember walking out, looking at some of the names on the one, being like, yeah, yeah, I'm like Letterman. And just skipping over the 30 names that no one's ever heard of. I've always felt like that, like moving through the ranks. It's like, I remember being like, if I can just get premium blend. Right. I feel like I've had a successful career. And then you get premium blend and you look at all the people who've done it and you're like, I don't know any of these people. I yeah, who the fuck are So like, I got to get a half hour. Yeah. And you get the half hour and you look at the other people and you're like, oh, these, this means nothing. You're just nothing. giving these away. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I, I never even got a premium blend, but I still look at it and judge. There's still chances. <laughs> you know, you still, still get there. Do they do comedy on Comedy Central anymore? They don't even do Comedy Central on Comedy Central anymore. I, I feel like, like it's like it's Office like reruns, reruns mm-hmm. South Park. Daily Show. Uh, Daily Show, right. Yeah, yeah, that's that's wild. Yeah, they're done. Yeah, I, every time people tell me about they're doing something, or uh, someone was putting together some sort of a, you know, they uh, famous comic uh, I, Eliza was putting together something where she was showcasing comics, and mm-hmm. they were going to pitch it as a show, and they're like, "Yeah, we might pitch it to Comedy Central." I'm like, "Okay, uh, they'll air no, it like Sundays at two a.m. Yeah, <laughs> if they took it." Yeah, and I, I don't know what they ended up doing, but I thought that was funny that it was still part of a pitch. 
to like prospective comics. I love when successful comics start doing the thing where they start like kind of bringing up lesser people, and it's like you're just getting the money. Yeah, like you're just doing this to get another show. Yeah, with like, with some ex- with some exemptions for sure, uh, but for the most part, it's just like you're you're gloaming off the younger generation. Yeah, that I've never never wanted to do that. <laughs> I mean, have you watched younger comics in recent years and just been like unbelievable? talent levels not really i mean i don't watch anyone even like the great ones i won't watch until like after i do a special i'll watch a bunch of stuff okay. i'll go back and watch some burr some Chappelle, right some tom segura i'll watch nate bargazzi because i know we have nothing in common sure but i'm always just worried someone's gonna have a joke that i have and it's gonna fuck up what's in my head right so i try to just keep it all kind of insular until i'm done with the hour and then i can i can look at stuff again whenever people go who uh who what comics do you watch my answer is always the same. I'm like, I, I haven't watched anybody except for like five to ten minutes of whoever goes up before me. That's what I say. Like for years, the only <laughs> comics it. I watched, people would like, people would uh, bash, you know, Sebastian, out of jealousy, Sebastian, Delia, Rogan. And I was like, those are the only three comics I watch. Yeah. I've seen the last five minutes of their set. That's it. Hundreds of times. Yeah. But I, ha- I don't watch anyone else. I can't sit there. I get fidgety. Like I can't go to a show. Yeah. Uh, and just sit there and watch because I'm like, I want to get up there. I want to do this. Here's yeah. what I would. Here's how I would handle that heckler. Like it just drives me nuts. So I stay out of it. Yeah. The other uh, thing I find interesting um, is people will go, "Oh, did you see when so and so said this?" And I'll be like, "No." And then they'll be like, "Oh, it was great." And then they proceed to tell me a very long-winded version of whatever it was. Do you see what Anthony said beginning of his set? No. Yeah. Oh, it was awesome. Uh, so the person in the crowd, I'm just like, oh, God. Now I'm going to have to hear the fucking telephone version of what went down. I don't understand it. Like, all the door guys come up to me and be like, I watch you set every night when you're in the main room. I'm like, why? <laughs> like, why do you do that? Like, I, it's flattering, but I, I, don't, I don't understand that, that impulse. Like, yeah. I used to, when I was in New York, David Tell was like the king of the comedy seller. Yeah, and I thought it was like you had to go and watch David Tell's set every night, and I loved it. I started to love Dave more and more. But then one night I imitated him on stage, like not like do it like an impression, but I just like did you one of his, his mannerisms, tone. yeah, because it was fun to do. And right. I was like, oh, I got to stop watching him, and I felt bad. I felt like maybe this means I'm not a comic. And I told the Booker of the Comedy Cellar, uh, Esty, I was like, I got to stop watching Tell because I'm I'm copying him. And she goes, good. Like, I thought she was going to be like, oh, you're not a real comic. Then she goes, good. More people should stop watching David Tell. Like, it's it's not good to get too much influence. Yeah. That, I had a big problem when I started before before I started doing crowd work and ensuring that my career went nowhere. Uh, I tried to write jokes. And I'd, do the, I'd write these jokes. And I'd be like, that's so fucking funny. And then I would do it. And I'd be like, didn't get a response at all. And then it occurred to me after a little while that I was watching Sebastian all the time. And that these jokes might have been funny if I was Sebastian mm-hmm. and I had his cadence and persona. And put his whole body into everything. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's it's all completely just based on that persona. But it was just like, that's who I was watching. You know, I was so young. I'm just like, okay, so this is how you do it. Mm-hmm. And then I had to basically just be like, all right, I got to stop watching this shit. Oh, I watched, like, one of, my, one of the jokes I did in the Donald Trump roast, which was, like, my big break, was one of the jokes I did in the belly room my first set ever. And I was like, oh, my God, like, maybe some of that stuff is gold. I got to go back and watch that. I didn't watch the set in forever. And after I did it, I had a tape, and I sent it to all of my friends. I was like, look what I'm doing. Because yeah. I, thought, I thought I killed. Yeah. And I watched it again, and I was like, I was, like, had a panic attack watching it. <laughs> Where I was like, holy shit, I look completely different. I've got a heavy, 
heavy Dennis Leary influence. Okay. Because I loved like that No Cure for Cancer. Sure. And I kept saying, okay, after everything, like it was, I was pointing at people. It was so uncomfortable <laughs> to watch that I was like, God ah, damn. That sounds amazing, actually. Yeah. Oh, it's brutal. <laughs> I was like, burn these tapes. No one can ever see this again. Because yeah, you're not at all the, the ranting comedian, no. like Dennis Leary style. No. I calmed way the fuck down. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I have a, if I watch the end of your set, I have to tell myself to not talk at a slower pace. Mm-hmm. I'll do it. And then I'm just like, fuck, I'm fucking, I'm just stealing your vibe. I mean, you- still I, doing crowd work. I always love when you follow me here. I mean, you follow me, I'd say 80% of the time. It used to be 100% of the time. Yeah. And now it's like 80, 75. They're, they're figuring it out. But I always knew that like- they were in good hands after me. Like you kind of like, you had a great way of like smoothing it back over and just kind of like resetting the room that whenever anyone else has to do it, I'm like, good fucking luck. Yeah. Like good luck with this. They're they're doing, they're doing showcases currently for new paid regulars. They did it last night, tonight and tomorrow, I think. And last night they, they made the showcasers follow me, which I think is a ballsy move. I mean, that's basically just throwing them in the fucking, the deep end and being like, have fun. Yeah. But it's uh, yeah. It's a weird thing. I I feel bad. Like people, they'll go. Yeah, it, it's just it's tough following you because you talk to the crowd. I'm like, lots of people talk to the crowd. Yeah, it's not hard to follow them. It's just hard because I connect with the crowd some. I don't so. think any. I mean, no one's hard to follow for me. I mean, maybe this is like I, I don't believe that like someone's hard to follow. I agree. Uh, even like if someone super famous drops in, like you can get their attention. You just have to know the right way to do it. Yeah. That I stand so still. And I'm so slow and deliberate that even if, like, Sebastian is like, oh, nobody wants to follow Sebastian, but it's very easy for me because I'm just completely different. The tone changes immediately. Yes. Yeah, I went up five or six years ago after it, uh, Louis C.K. bumped me. This is pre-canceled Louis. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm in the back, and he walks back there. I'm like, oh, fuck, all right. So he went up, and he did, like, 20. And towards the end of his set, I'm just like, all right, this is going to be all right. And then fucking Chris Rock showed up. And I'm like, oh, fuck. So Rock goes up, and then I'm just sitting in the back, and he does like 30 minutes. I'm just like, fuck. He gets done. The crowd's fucking loving him. They give him a standing ovation. And he's like, who am I bringing up? And they said, Rick Ingram. And he goes, who? And I'm just like, fuck. And then he comes back, literally just walks behind the curtain. He was like, what's your name? I go, Rick Ingram. Ingram? I go, yeah, okay. He goes, oh, man, this next guy's so funny. I'm just like, this motherfucker. <laughs> no one believes you. No know. one. Yeah, obviously you don't know who the fuck I am. His brother, Tony Rock, gave me the best intro I ever got, which was, who is it? And they said, Rick Ingram. And he goes, oh, I love this guy, man. Give it up for Rick Reagan. <laughs> I'm like, Reagan? But I, anyway, I went up after Chris Rock, and it was great. I obviously addressed the fact that they just saw two of the most famous popular comedians in the world. And then I'm just some fucking asshole. But it was fine. It was great. Then I got off. People were like, oh, I can't believe you followed him. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Just be a fucking professional. Mm -hmm. That's really what it boils down to. Just don't be nervous. Don't apologize. Yeah. You know? I was like, you're lying when you walk out. And you're like, thanks for all that energy, guys. Like, because people get, I'm at the end of the famous yeah group yeah you're i mean the, it's like there's some openers and then it's like here are the people that like you know like the headliners you throw three headliners yeah and i'm the, i'm always at the end of that never yeah, in the middle always at the very end yeah you don't want to upset the other headliners yeah and they know you don't care so mm-hmm. they just go for it yeah. yeah i'm i'm basically always the the bridge to normalcy yeah you know people are going to be walking getting up and leaving as you walk out there every time yeah and you handle it perfectly yeah it's you know what are you going to do it, it's an interesting thing. Um, 
being good at comedy but not known mm -hmm. in any way because then they're just like oh this is great and i talk about it some on stage where i'll be like well, i say something really offensive and you like see people upset um Tell them, like, you can't cancel me because none of you know what my fucking name is. Mm -hmm. And they kind of laugh, but then they literally look like, oh, fuck. Like, what are you going to do? Oh, I had, like, a year of headlining before the Trump roast when people kind of figure out who I was. Right. Where I was just getting comedy people. Like, just people who wanted to see a comedy show, got a flyer or something. Sure. B-clubs. And it was, I'd do five, six shows a weekend. Four of those would be brutal. Just absolutely yeah. brutal. And two, they would get it and understand. But that, like, hoping they get it. Hoping they understand what you're doing is uh, is anxiety-inducing. Yeah, I got uh, someone I went to high school with sent me a Facebook message um, saying they saw me on something. And I looked at it, and the message they had sent me prior to that was like nine years ago. And it was asking if I knew who you were because they saw yeah. you at some benefit or something. And I was like, my response was like, yeah, yeah I, I see him in L.A. And then their response was like, he talked about some dark things, man. And I'm like, oh yeah. Like, Should I be worried about him? I'm like, well, you don't know who he is, so yeah. Like, I, I wouldn't be worried about someone I don't know. I guess I've had comedians flat out ask me if I'm a psychopath. Yeah, because of what I do on stage, and I'm like, no, man. Like, I'm pretty chill. Like, I just, I'm you, you just, can write jokes. I just like this, and yeah. I'm good at it, and I have a dark sense of humor. Like, it's there, no one's trying to lock up Stephen King. Right. You know, like it's it's ridiculous that you would think as a stand up because so many stand ups pull from their own life. Yeah. That to think that I'm that I'm, you know, pulling from my own life is insane. Yeah. Or I get people saying, uh, I love you because you say what everyone's thinking, but they're too afraid to say. I'm like, I shouldn't be <laughs> like, that's not you shouldn't be thinking these things. That's but, fucked I up. Mean, that's a that's a nice way of seeing who's a psychopath in the crowd. Mm hmm. Is the I really connected with yeah. that bit you did? So that. true. We're like, no, man, no, it's not. <laughs> the, the, the reason why it's funny is because it's not so true. Yeah, that's fucking crazy. Um, yeah. So when you came back, how long had it been since you did comedy post COVID? You did didn't do shows the whole break. I didn't do shows. I mean, as soon as they, I did the last show at Largo, right before, like the night that, like. That like Tom Hanks got it and the NBA shut down. Like I was doing a Largo that night, right? And then everything ended, and so I didn't get up again until I got vaccinated. They were doing outdoor shows. I would get emails, and I was like, I'm not even the idea of someone getting COVID trying to come and see me. You know, right. scared me. And I'd been so safe and so kind of insular that I was like, I'm not going to risk this. But once I got vaccinated, I started doing the outdoor shows, waiting for this club to come back. Right. Because that was one of the biggest losses for me was not being able to come here. And I didn't talk to a lot of people. I'm not like a fucking, I'm not walking around like saying hi to everybody. But I would go sit at that back bar in the kitchen yeah, and nice. talk to whoever came back and work on my set list, uh, hang out in the green room and just even walking down the hallway. That was my social life, just saying hi to a few people. Yeah. And losing that was a, a major blow that I, I didn't see coming. So I, I couldn't wait until this came back. And when it did, I was excited to be here. Um, and it wasn't the same in terms of social interaction. It was very different. Uh, you know, the employees are different. Things are different. Yeah. And like the lack of the, the, the lack of Joe Rogan and all yeah. the people that he pulled out made me feel like, well, I want to keep this club going. Like, I don't want to let Joe win. Like, I love Joe. I like Joe. But I was like, <laughs> fuck you for, for yeah. trying to like take the, like end the comedy store and take it to Austin. Right. I'm going to try to anchor this. And, you know, there's guys like me, Marin, yeah. uh, you know, b people drop in, but the guys who are like on the sheet regularly, yeah, I was like, I'm going to be one of those. The... 
yeah, I'm going to come in and try to keep people, you know, not to, that like people come to see me, but it's a, it's a name. Yeah. And Dalia dropped out too. That was another one that people would come to see that mm-hmm. obviously uh, isn't performing here anymore. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know how long that lasts. I mean, he's at the Laugh Factory. He's at the Improv. I wonder if they end up bringing him back. It'll be interesting to see. I don't know if they will or not. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I, I haven't watched him go up. So from, from what I understand, he does a lot of like dad humor now. Um, I know from his social media, it's a very hard push mm-hmm. to uh, Crystalia father. Oh, yeah. I mean, you get, if you get, try, they try to cancel you, you either find Jesus or you have a kid. <laughs> and he, he had the kid. He got the kid. Yeah. Yeah. That's us. Awesome. Well, that got weird. Um, Time to get dark. Yeah, that's that's really what it is. I, when the comedy store came back, the thing that I really enjoyed about it was like, it it is really dark in terms of the comedians who are still here. Mm-hmm. Like, if it's Marin, you, me, that's like an hour of not very light humor. No, and they're all different. Like mm-hmm. you and Marin are nothing alike. You and I are nothing alike. But it is one of those things where you're like, oh. And the fact that everyone is doing well, it's like, oh, you know what? The crowd just realized how shitty everything is exactly. in the world. Yeah, That's all that's different. Is mm-hmm. Before, there was a bunch of people in the crowd who was like, no, things are good. Life is great. And yeah. now everyone's just like, oh, people are fucking stupid. This sucks. Oh, yeah. So that's a great thing, I think, for comedy. Absolutely. But I can't imagine like the uh, impressionists and people of that nature are going up there doing their shtick. And the crowd's just like, oh. Oh, I hate the word shtick. Yeah. When it, when it applies to someone, I'm like, oh, it's not so not yeah. so good. People, uh, my least favorite term is um, your sketches. Your little shows? Yeah. You your, do your little your shows? Your skits? Yeah. Oh, you know what? You could use that in your skits. I love when they put throw a little in there. When you do your little bits, what are you doing? <laughs> Bringing you down. Tell your little jokes. They don't mean to. They never mean to. Yeah. Uh, shtick, I feel like, can be a loaded word for sure. Yeah. But people just don't know how to do it. Yeah. But yeah, I hate it. Um. Your family, are they, do they think your comedy is funny? Are they? Yes. Uh, my, my parents aren't like big comedy people, but okay. they, I mean, they, they love me and so they, they enjoy it, but it's like other people had to tell them I was good at this, right. you know, otherwise, like I remember they came to see me do premium blend. They'd never seen me live before and I do premium blend and I like, I have a great set. My family thought I was nervous. You know, and I, I think I was, you know, uh, but they were like, we didn't know you were good until the people we thought were great. Like Joe Coy came up to me and was like, who are you? That was amazing. And like Aziz Ansari was like, that was incredible, man. And they were like, oh, we thought those guys were great. And they wanted to meet you. Yeah. So, so we kind of realized. You got clout. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. weird. I had to get like the press to tell them that I was good. So now they're <laughs> now they're, they're big fans. I, I was dumb enough. I uh, let my parents come watch me do the open mic here once. And uh, they were in town, and I, I remember just being like, well, I got to go do a set. And they were like, can we come? And I'm like, I guess. And there was like nine people, including them in the crowd. And, I, you know, obviously no one does well in that scenario. So I got off stage, and they were like, my parents were like, wow, you know, that's something. It's so cool to be at such a venue. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, I hate those, like the backhanded, like yeah. what are you going to say? Like it was like. The building was cool. You had such like... presence. It's like I wasn't funny. <laughs> yeah. I did a show once. I was in, uh, I was at Comics in Foxwoods Casino. It was like a comedy club in Foxwoods Casino in Connecticut. And there was an ice storm. It's the biggest casino in North America, I think, or America. And there's an ice storm one night 
where there's like the first show, there's like a few people. The second show, they're like, we might cancel it unless we get eight people in here. Eight people and we're going to do a show. And they're like, you know what? We're, we're pulling people from the hallway. We're like going out and just making people come in for free. And I'm like, why? Just let, let us like close and not do a show. Yeah. And they go, we got eight people. We're going to do a show. And I'm like, you motherfucker. I go, here's what you're going to do. You're going to bring me back shots. I want every different kind of whiskey you have. And I'm going to do shots until I'm ready to go on stage. And they go, great idea. The guy was an alcoholic. <laughs> and he brings back all these shots. And I'm, I'm like, oh, that's a nice whiskey. That's a nice whiskey. And I'm loaded. Yeah. Like I, I'm rolling myself out on stage. And I get out there. And two of the people in the audience were my cousins, who Hilarious. I did not know were coming, but like fought through an ice storm to see me just like slur out my act. And it was, uh, it was the most humiliating moment ever. Like I came out afterwards to say hi to them, and they were already gone. They just left. I, I did. Yeah. Uh, I opened for Pauly Shore in Wichita, Kansas. Um, and Congrats, man! My thank you. My family drove from Kansas City, like a three-hour drive, and they brought my grandma and shit. I just remember being so embarrassed, like not even that they were going to see me. And I was, I was dirty, but I did. I had bits and stuff then that worked fine on the road or whatever, and I did okay. But then I just remember like staring at them, just like nah, they're going to sit through Pauly Shore for. My grandma is going to sit through Pauly Shore for 45 minutes. Oh, yeah. Just my, not understand what's going on. My parents had to sit through Doug Benson the first time I came through Pittsburgh, mm. uh, opening for him. And they were, he was just like talking about weed and, yeah. and pussy. And they were just like, that guy seems a little nuts. And I was yeah. like, okay, that's like, that's your, the best compliment you can give him. Like, yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll that's not him. that bad. Yeah. Parents are always weird. I, I did the shows in La Jolla once with uh, Jeff Richards and Jordy Fox. Mm-hmm. And Jordy's dad was there i don't think both his parents i think it was just his dad but afterwards he walked up to him in the lobby and he was like do you need help <laughs> and we're all just sitting there drinking like what does he mean? he was like uh, what i got from your set makes me worry about you and he was just like leave me alone dad oh, i used to get that at the, like i love the store because you can stay away from people yeah you know you don't have to meet with the fans if you don't if you don't want to and i do not want to yeah but at the comedy cellar they could come upstairs and you're sitting at this table right and people would come up i remember this drunk girl was just like you guys are so funny and you you have a sadness and I was like, you better get the fuck away from me right now. Uh, oh, the sadness. Oh, I that, hate that. That's a special thing. Yeah, psychoanalyzing comedians is a bad idea. I mean, people in general, when they come up to me, it's always just like, hey, uh, the shit you're saying, man, is that like from something? I'm like, yeah, it's from something. Yeah. I had someone come up to me and go, do you like read almanacs? I want to go, what the fuck does that even mean? Who the fuck reads almanacs? Well, how'd you know about Assyrians? I go, because I talked to people in the crowd, and I met an Assyrian. I didn't yeah. know anything about Assyrians before crowd-working someone. Oh, because it seems like you're reading almanacs. Mm -hmm. like, I'm not. I assure you I'm not. Oh, I love when I get like, how do you remember all that? Always like, a good one. It's my job. Yeah. Like, it takes a while. I, I practice. Do. I have notes in the beginning, and then I, I have it down before I make people pay me to come and see it. <laughs> I like when you uh, when someone interrupts you and then you fucking just punish them and tell them you're not doing the bit. Then oh, always. And you just get to see everyone in the crowd get so mad and mm -hmm. starts looking over at the person. I'm like, oh fuck yeah, I love it. They might string him up. I love not finishing a joke. I'm not doing it now. Me. What? Um, all right, I got to do this ad real quick, guys. Um, BetterHelp. That's H E L P. It's a call to action, guys. Um, they're sponsoring our podcast now. There's a lot of you out there, I think, who are probably going through some shit. If you're listening to this podcast, you definitely are going through some shit. And uh, BetterHelp can uh, 
help you assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist in under 48 hours. That's good, especially uh, coming out of COVID and going back into COVID every two or three months, it feels like. Um, you know, they can help you out. It's uh, not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy. And um, the service is available worldwide. So if you're one of our, you know, blessed listeners over in Lithuania and you're just feeling a little bit down, these are still the guys for you. So visit betterhelp.com backslash comedy store. That's better, H-E-L-P, and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Uh, special offer for uh, Comedy Store podcast listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com backslash comedy store. And uh, yeah, just take care of yourself, guys. And obviously keep listening here. And if we make you more psychotic, then these are the guys to help you out. So um, yeah, thanks. Cross that one. That's a professional ad read. On my podcast, we like... We take like five minutes because we just start like making fun of it and going yeah. in and out. But that was a quick, crisp, you know, clean ad read. You got the. We've got a pretty strong tradition here of getting uh, one week's uh, worth of ad time and then them being like, we are not coming back. No more. Uh, we, we have a tendency to take things where they're not supposed to go. Mm -hmm. um, we had a sponsor for Hymns briefly when mm -hmm. they uh, offered to sponsor any podcast that ever existed. Yeah, we had them. And uh, I did a solid two-minute ad just talking about how rock hard I was while I sat there. Mm -hmm. and, and strangely enough, next week they were not interested. And uh, there was a lot of Jim Painter. I don't <laughs> know if you remember Painter. Yeah, oh, yeah. There was a lot of screaming as Jim Painter about, I am so rock hard right now. And, um, and then, you know, maybe three people on Earth understanding what exactly that was. If that. Yeah. You remember Painter? Oh, yeah. Painter was like a big deal to me because Painter was really nice to me. Yeah. Like the first guy to like give me compliments. I didn't feel like a part of the scene when I came around because I was like, I, I just looked different. Yeah. I dressed different. I wasn't like one of the guys ever yeah. for a long, long time. You've always but been Painter put together, was, which seemed strange. It's funny to me because I, I had no money. Yeah. But my parents had given me, before I moved out here, a Brooks Brothers uh, credit card. That like when you need when you finally give this up and get it because like, I didn't come here to get into comedy I was out here for a year before I was like let's try this okay and but I had I would go to Brooks Brothers because I couldn't afford to do laundry I didn't have the coins but I could go to Brooks Brothers and buy like a nice shirt sure so I was just dressed in Brooks Brothers clothes and people just thought that I was like some rich stuck up kid and I was like no I'm just like nervous and and no one's being nice to me right. I think I just like I seemed like the kind of person all the comics would be making fun of. I didn't look like a normal normal yeah. comic. That, uh, that yeah, I kind of I didn't really have a lot of friends in comedy for a I, long, long time. I, I, when I saw the the lineup that someone I can't remember who sent it to me, but I was shocked because I didn't remember you doing the open mic. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing you in the belly room once, and uh, I think Dave Taylor might have been like, "You got to watch this guy; he's funny," which was maybe the only time I've ever heard Dave Taylor recommend watching somebody. It's very um, nice, Dave. But uh, yeah, it was I, I just. Painter was such a strange part of such a strange era of the comedy store seemed like it was going to be closed every week. Oh, yeah. But I started when Painter was like the guy. Yeah. Like people, would, comics would go to the, he ran an open mic at a Moggy's, which is no longer there, right. down on Sunset. And I, I was working next door on the lot. I was an accounting clerk for a TV show called American Dreams. And so I was trying to get out and do open mics. And I was like, oh, this is one right here. And I went and it was Painter. And Painter would do like 10 minutes between each comic. Yeah. So comics would come just to see him do that. Yeah. And he never had new bits. He just kept doing those same ones. Yeah. And then he eventually fell out and was like sick of it and wouldn't show up. 
excuse me. So I was there every week. And so I was one day I was just like, I'll run it and just got up and did it. And then painter showed up the next week and then was just gone. So I went from like doing the open mic to running the open mic. Right. And painter was always like, I would do my set and he'd be like, oh, you've got jokes and you're good looking. I'm fucked. Yeah. And like, I was just thought that was like the sweetest thing you could say. Yeah. You're like, this is pretty awesome. Yeah. Now that painters admitted that. Yeah. I yeah. love a good painter story. He was, uh, he was one of those dudes where he was so funny, but he was he was such a part of this place, just in terms of like all the employees, everyone would watch him because it was so insane. Mm -hmm. um, and then one day he was just gone. Yeah, and it was like he doesn't do comedy anymore. Yeah, and people are like, yeah, I saw him at a grocery store in the Central Valley, and you're like, really? I love those. I was always obsessed with comics or interested in comics who had like a hot streak and then just like we're just gone. We're like, what happened to this guy we all thought was the funniest guy? Yeah. And there's been a couple of them and they're just like, they just, I think they get in their own head and disappear. But people, people loved him. I, I'm always amazed that people get out of comedy. And uh, to me, the thing that shocks me is I've met so many people that shouldn't be in comedy mm -hmm. that keep doing it. Mm hmm. That you're just like, when it's someone's, like I, I started with a guy in Kansas City, and then he moved out here, and he started doing comedy out here, and I saw him a couple times, he'd come do the open mic, whatever. So maybe two or three years after I'd been here, I saw him at the front bar one night, I'm like, oh shit, what's up, Monty? And he's like, oh, nothing, man, how you been? I'm like, I'm good, man, you going up? And he's like, oh no, I don't do comedy anymore. I go, oh really? He goes, yeah, I quit like two years ago. I go, oh, what, what are you doing? He was like, oh, I, I got a job. I work at a post-production house. And I'm like, oh. They should have to have like a press announcement. Like I think Howard Kramer had a bit that like when you quit, you should have to put up a billboard being like, I'm done. <laughs> so everyone knows. Like I would love a list of people who quit during COVID. Yeah. Because a lot of people moved and you like find out who went to Austin, who yeah. went to Nashville, who went to New York. But I would love to know who just was like, fuck it. I'm done. I'm, I'm yeah. out of here. This is the perfect exit. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just I don't get it. I, I don't get moving to Austin. I mean, I get it for Joe because he's going to make a bunch of money that he doesn't have to pay in taxes. But um, it, it's, you know, at the same time, being in Austin sounds terrible. Moving there in the summer, like really, the, you're going to go in the summer? Yeah. And like I would say a bunch of people went down there. Only one of them has $100 million. Exactly right. You know, and I, I never wanted to be a satellite. Like there are nights where like Chappelle's here and I just leave. Because it's like everything revolves around Chappelle. I have no problem with Chappelle. Yeah. But I don't want to be like rotating around someone and being like at their at their whim, if you will. Right. Uh, that whenever like the big dogs were around, like if Stan Hope's here, I'm here as long as he is. Sure. Like I'll hang out all night long. But when like someone super famous comes in, I'm just like, I do my set and I leave. Yeah. I don't I don't like the famous people. Yeah, I, the, I agree. I wrote, our, uh, Marin and I talked about the, the satellite thing where it was, it was strange. There were so many people that were just here to kiss rogan's ass mm -hmm. and again i i have no issues with rogan he's always no. been cool to me mm -hmm. um but you know having five dudes that suck at comedy that are just hanging around because they want rogan to recognize they exist was always a weird dynamic where yeah. it's like you're just here to yeah, and that's how you want to make it is yeah. be like one of like one of Joe's guys. I, comedy gangs, I am always uh, completely against. Yeah. You go, you go on stage alone. I right. would say it doesn't matter who you're fucking friends with. It's a, it's a weird, weird, and I don't want to be someone's opener. Right, you know, I don't want to do that shit. Uh, so it's a it's a it's a weird thing. But I, I mean, I can't fault them for their choices. I just I can't relate. Yeah, I can't do that. It, for me, one of the things like I can't 
I can't get headlining gigs that pay me more than to where it would be worth doing it anywhere. Mm-hmm. But people are like, well, what? You got to go feature and do that shit. I'm like, I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. I'm going to go feature for someone. No. At the last four or five times that I went and featured for someone, two of them, they didn't even let me finish the weekend because there was so much complaining from headliners. Because you do crowd work and they don't like people doing crowd work? Because I do crowd work and I do well and... No, do you think it's because like you open up the crowd to start talking to the headliner then because they're used to talking, or because they can't do crowd work now because you've kind of like like done the room? I think a lot of it is, um, it, it's hard for them to get the crowd back to where they want it to be, where it's you know just listening. Mm-hmm. And I think some of it is uh, when you do crowd work, it's very in the moment, kind of it becomes inside jokes, and then. For some people, if they, I don't know if they get nervous or whatever it is, because like some of the people I've seen do great, but they go up there and they just start fucking, they basically look like they want to fucking quit comedy. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I'm kind of sitting there and I take great amusement in that. And I'm like, oh, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. Because yeah. they're not my friends, it's just whoever they had headlining. And then it becomes like, a, okay, so we're going to switch you tomorrow first show you're gonna do you're gonna open you're still gonna do your time but you're gonna open and then we'll have the local guy feature i'm like all right whatever yeah as long as i'm getting paid yeah, the same I'm getting paid the same still yeah. doing my time fine and then i've had it also where they told me that and then they called me saturday and they were just like hey we're gonna pay you but we're gonna do local comics i think that's the highest honor you can get oh kind of yeah but then to me it's like i don't want to be in these fucking cities like half of them so then I'm like, what am I supposed to do? I'm not going to go to the comedy club and hang out if I'm not yeah. performing. So yeah. I hang out in my hotel room until I have to go to the airport. See, that's my dream. <laughs> being, just being like, if the, like if the club called me and was like they burned down, there's a fire, there's a bomb threat. We got to we got to wrap this up. I'd be like, okay, like yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna hang out. I'm gonna I'm gonna rent a movie. Yeah, and I'll uh I'll, I'll see you at the airport. Yeah, God. That's the dream, I guess. Mm-hmm. I got to get there to where I can make that money. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything you want to promote? Yeah, I've got a podcast. It's called JRVP, the Jessel Mick and Rosenthal Vanity Project. Just me and my best friend, uh, just being goofy, talking about crazy stories from the week and talking about our lives. He's my best friend of like over 20 years. Imagine the kind of person who would make me godfather to both of their kids. Wow. Like what that would, That's what that real friendship, friendship would look like. Yeah. yeah. So people people enjoy that. We're on episode, we just did 135 this week. Oh, okay. So it's, uh, it's been fun. Yeah. Nice. All yeah. right. And um, social media, I'm sure they I'm anyone on, who's listening probably follows you already. I'm but. barely on Twitter. People are like, why don't you, you don't tweet anymore. It's like, yeah, I've got a podcast. Right. Like if you want to hear my opinion on Alec Baldwin, like listen to the podcast. I'm not going to tweet a joke anymore because it's useless. Right. And I don't do Instagram. I have an Instagram for my dog. I'll plug nice. uh, Red Rum, the Korean meat factory dog on Instagram. <laughs> is that, is Check that it for out. real? Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Um, all right. Well, thanks for being on, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for it. having me. And uh, yeah, keep listening, guys. Rate, do all that stuff. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, see you guys next time. Thank you. Guys, Comedy Store Podcast is back. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Please leave us your negative and positive comments, mostly negative. You can follow me at Rick Ingram. <laughs> I only accept positivity in my life. <laughs> the new Rick is here and EJ Kerrigan still with the negativity, but like and subscribe.